This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Katya Institute for the Study of Sleep Disorders. The Katya Institute. If you don't dream, you go. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's another double feature. The late night double feature feature show. Nightmare on Elm Street, and I am so damn excited. Woo! We are huge fans of this entire series. Mm-hmm. Okay, I say that, but really... What did we decide? So there's one, three, and seven, A New Nightmare, They're are like the best. the best ones. Two is Campy Fun. Six is the worst. Yeah, probably. And, of course, Freddy vs. Jason is god-awful. Yeah, it really is. So that only leaves... Four and five. Four and five, which dream are good. Dream Master and They're Dream fun. Child. They're yeah. fine. But really, one... Three and New Nightmare are the best. Are the best. You should definitely watch those. And I'd probably recommend watching two as well. <laughs> it's a trip. <laughs> but before we get to this week's movies, Kelsey, what do you got for me on Slash Cards? How does Chucky come back to life at the start of 1990s Child's Play 2? You know, I've never seen the movie. You've never seen it? Child's Play 2? I don't think I have either. Do you know how many opportunities I've had to watch a Child's Play movie? Not many. You were alive for like 25 years before I ever met you, so... I guess. <laughs> no, I've never seen it. Do you want me to ruin the surprise? It's the beginning of the movie. Yes. Okay, so at the... I hear we'll ruin the first movie. At the end of the first movie, Chucky dies. He gets burned up and then completely destroyed. I don't even remember that. Um, you remember how he's just kind of like a robotic underskeleton? I'm sure this is making you very comfortable. <laughs> Super comfortable. You picked the question. Uh, I'm going to guess more voodoo. The Play Pals Toy Factory rebuilds him as a publicity stunt to reassure customers that nothing is wrong with their dolls. But Because it was in the newspaper that a doll killed people? I have no idea. All right. Maybe we'll have to watch Child's Play 2. Oh, maybe. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Yes. In what year did the TV movie It first air? 1990. Damn. I was hoping to get you on that one. Nope. Not even close. Nope. We talk about it far too much. Yes. 1990 is the correct answer. All right, Kelsey. Yeah. This is going to be a challenge. Okay. Because I know we love we love Nightmare so much mm-hmm. that we're probably going to have a lot to say about it and we know we do long episodes. Yeah, and we're going to we're trying to cut it down. I know it doesn't seem like we are, but we are. So let's this is going to be a difficult one to talk about. 
We'll talk in broad strokes about the concept of the movie, not necessarily getting down into the particulars of the plot. And then we'll do what we normally call the lightning round and talk about all the stuff we want to talk about. So first up is A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, directed and written by Wes Craven, starring Heather Langenkamp, Johnny Depp, and Robert Englund. What is A Nightmare on Elm Street about? A Nightmare on Elm Street is about four teenagers who are stalked in their dreams by a child murderer who wears a glove with claws. Yep, that's pretty much it. If you don't know that, you've been living under a rock. Should people... Watch this movie before we talk about it. It's a foregone conclusion. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% watch A Nightmare on Elm Street in whatever way you possibly can. I have personally, I have it on DVD. I have it on Blu-ray. I actually have the the complete collection on Blu-ray. And I have the complete collection on iTunes as well. When I couldn't find the first disc on Blu-ray, I just went ahead and bought the whole collection again on iTunes because it includes the remake, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's how much I love this whole franchise. Absolutely, you should, at the very least, watch this first one from 1984. And when we come back, we'll talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. From Wes Craven, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror. Nightmare on Elm Street. There's something out there, isn't there? She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one will survive. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Nightmare on Elm Street. Rated R. All right, Kelsey. Yes. What's the plot of A Nightmare on Elm Street? We open with a character having a nightmare, and her name is... Nancy? No, No, Tina. Tina. Mm-hmm. And we think it's going to that she's going to be the main star of the show, but it's actually not. It is actually Nancy, her friend, who she then tells about and she tells her boyfriend who's kind of a jerk and Johnny Depp as a child. Yes. There's um <laughs> Uh, th- this is kind of an homage to the Psycho thing. And they do the same thing in Scream, which is also written and directed by... Wes Craven, mm-hmm. yeah. So where you take who you think is going to be the lead, the pretty short-haired blonde woman, and you kill her off to to really establish the stakes. Um, yeah. So she's not going to be our main character, but she is going to be the first to die and really going to drive this plot forward. So she's being stalked by this guy who wears a red and green striped sweatshirt, sweater, and he wears, what do you call them? A fedora. Is it a fedora? It's a fedora, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's pretty big for a fedora. Oh, it's a fedora. Okay. Um, he wears a brown fedora and he's got a glove that has knives on the fingers and he's got a burned up face. And she tries to tell her friends about it. She kind of, they slowly all discover that they are all having the same nightmare. However, as per every horror movie, it's, oh, it's just a dream. It's, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing to be scared of. Right. It's a lot of that, 
I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm having that same dream. But in order to convince myself that everything's okay, I'm going to call you crazy. Exactly. But eventually they all discover that they are all having dreams. One by one, they are picked off. Tina is the first to go. Then her boyfriend, who was sleeping in the same bed as her, automatically the cops think it was him. So they put him in jail. He is then killed by Freddy. Then Nancy's boyfriend, Mr. Johnny Depp, is killed as well. And so it's up to Nancy to end it. And uh, so she rigs her house up with a bunch of booby traps. Um, and she's going to try to pull him out of the dream because she accidentally pulled out his hat. Yeah, she realized I was holding on to his hat when they woke me up. So that must be how I pull things out of the dream world. And so if I could grab onto him, then I can pull him out of the dream world. And then he's in my world. Yeah. And we find out through Nancy's alcoholic mother yes. that Freddy Krueger was a real person. He was a child murderer. They found him and they burned him alive. Yeah, because due to a technicality, he got off scot-free. Somebody didn't sign a warrant in the right place or what have you. And so vigilante justice, all the parents of the town, hunted him down and burned him alive in a boiler room or whatever. <laughs> and and she kept the claw. <laughs> yes. And uh, so Nancy is successful. She does get Freddy out and she all her booby traps work. However, he ends up taking her mom down to hell. In the process, yeah. And then all of a sudden Nancy is taken away in a car with all of her friends. No, no, no. You didn't say how she actually beats him. It's not all the she manages to get away with all these booby traps, but she ultimately finds out that what he's been doing, and this has a really, really big part in the rest of the franchise, and including Freddy versus Jason, he gets his power from fear, which is why he shows up in their dreams in nightmares to scare them. And the more he can do that, the more he can scare them, the stronger he gets. Very much like Pennywise. Yes. So she takes away all of his power by saying, no, I'm done. I am no longer afraid of you. You don't scare me anymore. I'm taking back every bit of power that I gave to you. I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. You're shit. And so you think it's going to be over and you think it's going to be a happy ending. But then she gets a car with her friends and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't change the fact that her friends are dead. Also, her mom comes out and it's like, wait, the implication is that none of it happened. Right. The whole idea is that, oh, it was just a bad dream. But then when they're when she's in the car with her friends, the top pulls up its red and green stripes. They they yep. get driven away and the mom gets taken through a window through the door. And no, the ending does not make sense. And that is because there were several endings uh, fighting. Yeah, uh, between be Bob Shea, who's the producer at New Line Cinema, uh, and Wes Craven, the writer and director, they couldn't agree on an ending. Bob Shea thought it should be uh, another scare. That's how horror movies end. They end with another scare. And which Wes Craven wrote into... Scream, there's that line, not in my movie. You know, it's almost like that's his response all the way back to Bob Shea in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yes, Wes Craven. He wanted a happy ending. Wes Craven was not happy about the way that this franchise went. Well, okay. 
He we'll talk s- about that. We'll talk about it when we get to the sequel. Scream. We'll talk about it when we get to when we get to the sequel okay. about about his thoughts about the franchise in general. But about this one, he wanted it to end a happy ending where you just you know she wakes up after she takes away all of his power and oh it really was a dream all this time and they get in the car and with the friends and they drive away and that's it. But they ended up filming like up to five different versions of the ending with variations on what we got and what Wes Craven wanted. And cause what we got was like a compromise between the two. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of different versions. And if you get the version on iTunes or you get the Blu-ray, you can watch them all. It's not worth it. Don't it's bother. really not. Don't bother. And what they ended up with was an ending that doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. You're right. Wes wanted the ending to be that Heather woke up in the morning and the sun was shining and she walked away. He wanted to have a big uh, hook to the picture um, so that he could have a sequel. And I thought he was crazy that there would never be a sequel. Boy, was I stupid. I've been accused of fighting for a movie that could have sequels, but that wasn't really the case. I just felt that the ending to the movie didn't send the audience out with any great uh excitement and he and i had a lot of arguments i mean i think it's a fun ending but it doesn't make sense right absolutely it's fun but it's nonsense i mean but you could say the same thing about the ending of the original friday the 13th yes she gets pulled under by the kid and then the next thing we know she's in the cop she's talking to the cops right now So like Kelsey says, Friday the 13th has a very similar kind of confusing ending. That was made by Sean S. Cunningham, which we talked about when we did our Friday the 13th double feature. Sean Cunningham had worked with Wes Craven and actually did a few shots. Last House on the left. Yeah, no, he's worked with them in several several times. Hills Hills Have Eyes. But he actually did a B unit, secondary unit shots when they were running out of time. And they needed to film in two locations at the same time, which a lot of movies do. He was in charge of that second unit because uh, they were good friends. So the guy who wrote and directed Friday the 13th and the guy who wrote and directed Nightmare on Elm Street were actually friends that go way back. It was Sean S. Cunningham who recommended to Wes Craven, maybe you should write a horror movie. <laughs> and that's how we got Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's a cash cow right now. <laughs> right? So they end up uh, end up meeting again in Jason versus Freddy or Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: Freddy versus Jason is a piece of shit. It's garbage. It really, really is. I mean, thank goodness for Cunningham because without him, we probably wouldn't have Freddy, who is arguably the best horror franchise murderer there is. Yeah. I think, oof, that's a tough one. He has the most interesting kills. Yes, 100%. Funniest lines. Yes. He can be really scary sometimes. Depending on how you use him, yes. And, I mean, Robert England, I mean, because he's allowed to talk, and that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Um, Because as much as I love Halloween... And as much as I enjoy Friday the 13th. Yeah. Halloween, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No. They're all like lumbering villains who don't get to talk. And they, they just and have one mindset of get there, kill the person. Yeah. Freddy taunts. Freddy plays. Much Freddy more fun. is more fun to watch. He's, he's clever. He's funny. 
And because he exists in dream world, yeah. he can do anything. Right. And they really take advantage of that throughout the franchise. They absolutely should. There are times towards the five or six around there where they just forget that they're trying to kill people and then they were going up against some censorship issues and they kill like nobody in those movies. Uh, there's like two or three people that die in those movies and it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but the rest of the franchise is like really, really inventive kills. Yeah. And that's and what I mean. When off I say the he wall. Has the coolest kills. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a genius idea. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how he got the idea. Everybody Everyone knows, knows this. this. Everybody knows this. So do it quickly. So we will do it quickly. There were a series of news articles that Wes Craven saw in the LA Times over a period of about three years. Um, There were refugees escaping Pol Pot's regime. And from this group, over the course of three years, there are several young people, uh, I think usually men, who would die in their sleep. But what would be most remarkable is, at least in the third one, I don't know about the other two, he called it (laughs) he was like i cannot go to sleep or else i'll die and they finally managed to get this kid to sleep and he screams shrieks they get up to his to his room and they see him thrashing around and before they can get to him in his bed he's dead and they find all of his sleeping pills that they tried to give him uneaten under his pillow. They find a coffee pot in his closet with an extension cord running to the nearest power outlet, uh, trying desperately to stay awake because he knew if he fell asleep, he was going to die. And he did. So they call it a couple of things. There is something called SUDS. Sudden Unexpected Death Syndrome, specifically this instance is is called Asian Death Syndrome. There's also something called Brigada Syndrome, which I don't know a lot about. So that's his influence for the concept. He's like, oh, I got to write about that. Oh, man, there's I got to do a movie about that. Freddy. Freddy was the name of a bully he had in school who used to beat him up all the time, and he hated Freddy. Kruger is... I thought that was his name, Fred Kruger. No, it was just Fred. Oh. Kruger is this German-sounding name that sounds like uh, very harsh and violent and a little bit Nazi-like. And it's also an extension of uh, Krug, who is one of the bad guys in Last House on the Left, which Craven also wrote and directed. Kruger sounded very German and reminded me of one of the big war plants in Nazi Germany and also... It was an extension of uh, Krug, who was the lead character in Last House on the Left. And his look and feel go back to he heard somebody walking outside on the street and he looked out and there was this like wino type person wearing a hat and looking all weird. And the dude stopped and turned and looked up at him in the window and like, gave him this look and he ducked down. And then when he popped back up again, the dude was still standing there staring at him. And he thought it was so creepy as a child, he never got it out of his head. And that's kind of what he modeled the look of Freddy. Not the burns and everything, but it's what he modeled the look of Freddy after. He has burns because he wanted him to be able to articulate his face. Yeah, and he wanted say him things. to be scary. And usually scary killers have masks. But he thought, right. I want this guy to be able to talk. So his mask is his scars. Um, so he has a mask, but he's still able to move his face. You can still see his expressions and he can still talk. 
the idea for the glove. He wanted a weapon, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has the chainsaw. Michael Myers. Michael Myers has the the knife, the kitchen knife. And Jason has the machete. So he wanted like an iconic uh, weapon, something that wouldn't be overly complicated, that they can make themselves. uh, And that would be small. So they wouldn't have to lumber, like carry a thing around all the time. And then he, there's many different stories we've seen about this coming straight out of his mouth. The interesting one I like is he, he was looking at his cat and his cat stretched out and the claws came out of its hand and he liked the idea of claws. So he's like, okay, claws. And so the prop designer built it. He's the guy you see actually building the thing in the first opening scenes of the movie. Do you know where my claw is? No, I'm sorry. I don't. I can tell you I have a claw. At my parents' house. I didn't know you did. Yeah, my brother and I actually started. Was my brother's, and then it was a hand me down to me. We had a uh, we had a rubber Freddy mask for Halloween with the fedora and the and the and the the sweater and the glove, and Josh wore it, and it used to scare the piss out of me. I remember when I was really young, I didn't watch Freddy movies for a long time because my brother watched one or was watching one, and. I didn't even know what was happening. I just saw like a light swinging or whatever. And just the way things were framed and I knew it was a scary movie, it terrified me. This was probably around the same time that I was terrified of the Wicked Witch. So my mom would force my brother to watch it with me so I could actually watch The Wizard of Oz. Um, This one, nope, no interest. I did not want to watch it. So I was really, really terrified. It wasn't until... I got the stuff, like the hand-me-down stuff, and I dressed up as Freddy one year that I got a lot more comfortable with it. So I dressed up as Freddy a couple years ago. The sweater is a dress and everything. Yeah. I love that outfit. I don't know where my hand is. But anyway. Speaking of missing gloves, (laughs) the original glove is missing. Yes. It was used in the sequel, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, It was... Used in Evil Dead 2. It's one of the things hanging on the wall of the shed. Uh, And then from there, it's just gone. So the reason it's in Evil Dead 2 is because Evil Dead 1 is in this movie. And so when they remade Evil Dead 2, they wanted a reference to Nightmare uh, to reference it back. And Sam Raimi got a hold of the glove somehow. And that's the last time it was seen. And it's never been seen since. I also wanted to jump in and say my childhood memory of Freddy. Yeah. Makes me upset because, okay, so I love Freddy now. Yes. As a child, he terrified me. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm very embarrassed to say this, but the one that I saw as a child that scared me so bad. Yeah. Was six. Really? Yeah. Freddy's dead. Freddy's dead. That's an awful one. <laughs> it was on TV. I saw it. I was a little, little kid. Yeah. It scared the hell out of me. That's so weird. Yeah. I think that's one of the ones where, like, nobody dies. I don't remember what scene I watched, but I watched some scene and he was coming after them and it scared the crap out of me. Uh, there is a Nightmare on Elm Street wiki. And there's a list of deaths in the films. Oh, there are four kills, just like this one. Okay. This movie has four kills as well, if you count the mom. Mm-hmm. Which I think you should. Mm-hmm. But there are only three in the dream child. 
And four in that one, it's like they forgot they were supposed to be killing people. <laughs> That's what Freddy had become. All right. So talking about what Freddy had become, originally, Freddy was going to be a child molester. Mm-hmm. They decided to change that because they didn't want they didn't want it to seem like they were exploiting what was going on at the time in California around the time of production. Basically what was happening is there was a, the big, big controversy was there was a, there was a school and the, the children were claiming to have been molested by the faculty of this school. And it was this huge, huge thing going on in California at the time. And so they're like, you know what? He's just going to murder children. Okay, and then they brought it back for the sequel, or for the remake. We'll talk about that when we get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's talk about lightning round stuff, Kelsey. I think we should say our favorite moment in the movie. Oh, that's going to be so hard. What's the first thing that comes to mind? God, uh, I was thinking about this. I was writing down so I could go down this list and tell you all my favorite moments in the movie. But there's just too many of them. Exactly, that's why we can't do that. I would say my favorite moment, oh, it's it's probably Freddy in the Wall, where they got spandex and they put it over a hole in the wall above Nancy's head. And while she's sleeping, the prop guy puts his hands and face into the spandex and just pushes forward and it stretches out. And it's just an amazing amazingly well executed effect on the cheap. It's, it's just really, really cool. And it's entirely practical remake. (laughs) And it's just, it's so effective. I think it's really good. I guess that would probably be my favorite part. What about yours? Mine is probably the dream sequence at the school. Oh, where Tina's in the body bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of really good stuff there. I especially like when her legs lift up and then she's dragged away. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Uh, So I'll get into the points that I really like about it. So Nancy is in school. She falls asleep and the guy, uh, one of the kids was sent up to the front of the room to read from Hamlet. And he says the part about bad dreams and he gets, like, this really, like, low, like, bad dream. He does a stage whisper. Mm-hmm. And that's when she hears Nancy. And it's her friend, Tina. And she goes out there and she sees her in a body bag. And she, like, reaches out to her, but it's behind the bag. And then uh, at one point, yeah, she's on the floor. And, like, Chris says, her feet just go up. Like she's being dragged and her arm flops out. Just like we saw when she was actually being taken away. We saw a a brief clip of her body being taken away on a news clip that her mom was watching in the kitchen. She turns it off before we can see more. But we see her arm fall out of the body bag. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. And then while she's walking down the hallway, she gets stopped by a girl in a red and green sweater. Yeah, where's your hall pass? Where's your hall pass? Fuck your hall pass! Yeah. Where's your pass? Screw your pass! She falls, <laughs> and as she's walking away, Nancy turns to look at the girl, and she's got the glove on, and out of her vo- mouth comes Freddy's, Freddy's voice. voice, and it says, No running in the hallway. <laughs> but it's great. I, I love... I love that whole dream sequence. What do you think is the worst part of the movie? Whether that's a particular effect or 
a plot element or what? Acting? Johnny Depp's acting isn't all that great. No, I'm sorry. He's super fucking charming and I hate it. it the mom's acting is awful. She's pretty bad. She's really bad. She's, She's way over the top. Isn't she like Academy Award nominated or I something like so. that? Maybe not Academy Award. Maybe it's uh, a Golden Globe or something like that but for Nashville. I think I know what you're going to say your least favorite one is. And I already have a rebuttal. Okay. What do you think it's going to be? I think it's when the arms get stretched out. That's absolutely what it is. Here's the thing, and it's a cop-out, but fuck it. They kind of get this cop-out. In a dream. Weird shit happens. Anything can happen. I know, and it looks uncanny. Exactly. But no, my problem is it doesn't look uncanny. The, what I tell you what looks uncanny is the room spinning stuff. And we'll get into Tina's death. We'll get into Johnny Depp's death. With the room spinning, but that when she's floating around in the middle of the room, that's I I still don't know exactly how they did it. And I have yet to see somebody show me how they've done it. When Tina, yes, when Tina is being thrashed around her room, it's not just the rotating room. I know that. But when she's floating in the middle of the room, that's what I want to know. With the effect, it's so cheap and it's so obvious that it's fake. And this it is doesn't... Tina's first dream. Yes. He is coming after her down a, an alleyway. Yeah. And his arms are extended. Listen, if I saw that in my dream, yeah. But what I'm seeing it in, I'm seeing it in a movie. And it's obvious that, the, that, that oh, his arms are going to extend. And, oh, that's not really his sweater. It doesn't look real at all. I know that those arms are just on fishing poles. Was it like... Craven who hated it? One of the people hated it. I don't remember. I think it was Craven who hated it. It looked ridiculous. Jacques hated this thing, and with good reason. I was a little concerned that it was going to look too fakey, too cheesy, not scary enough. I was surprised at how well it it came out in terms of people accepting it. And yeah, I I get it's it's one of the weaker ones, but I still I they get to get away with anything. It's the best cop out of all time because it happens in a dream. And if you have had nightmares like I have had, Uh you know that weird shit that doesn't make any sense happens. What about Nancy's mom getting sucked through the door? It's a pretty bad effect. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't look real, but considering they did one take of it. Yeah. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah. It worked well enough. I, there's no question about that. But it, it was, it, it, you know, when you see it today, it's a little silly, but so what? I felt very, actually very bad about doing that. But I also felt very much that Bob was the only person that was able to get this picture going and, and uh, championed it. So gave him his hook. I love when she gets pulled under the water, too. Oh, God, that's so good. Mm-hmm. When she gets pulled underwater, that's really great. Nancy has a dream in the tub. Yeah, so they it's it's really there's two things they did there. They had the special effects guy or the prop guy, I can't remember which one, was the actual Freddy, and he was in a tank underneath the bathtub, which had a hole cut out of it, and he was just reaching his hand up and then would pull it back down, and he was just holding his breath under the water. And then when they actually pulled her under, they used a pool with uh, black garbage bags or something else, plastic lining all along the the walls of the pool. So it looked like it just stretched on forever. It's such a great effect. Mm-hmm. And the transition between the two is really good. 
Like, it's like you don't even notice that there's a transition. It's just all of a sudden she's getting pulled from the bathtub into the depth like that. It's really, really good. Johnny Depp dying, getting pulled into his bed, and then the geyser of blood that comes out. They did that by turning the room upside down. And dudes just dunked the blood in there. But they had no control over it. It, went it was poorly. <laughs> it was so heavy that it that they couldn't control it and the room shifted, which is why you see the blood on the roof kind of slide to the side. Now that's an uncanny image. It looks really, really cool, the end product, but it took all the power out. One of the guys got electrocuted. Not electrocuted, he got shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite the ordeal, and they could do it once, and they got the shot that they got. And that's kind of supposed to be an homage to the bleeding elevator in The Shining, mm-hmm. which came out just a few years before this one did. Mm-hmm. And Rod getting hung in his cell... That's a simple, just they They played it backwards. They played it backwards so it looked like it was wrapping around him. He was high as shit. Like really, really badly high when he was filming those scenes in the prison. He tells a story in the behind the scenes stuff about how he's clean now. And that's one of the biggest regrets he has is showing up to the set high like that. Mm-hmm. Um when he's all panicked and feverish, that's not acting. That's really going on. <laughs> I'm crying not because of the scene. I'm crying because my life is shitty at the time. I really regret that I brought a substance and changed my acting. But I'm clean after 25 years and sober. What else are some really, really good effects? The oatmeal stairs is a pretty good one, especially if you're not expecting it. Yeah, and there are a lot of movies that copy that. We've seen some. Of course, I can't think of what they are. Yeah. I hate that shot. Because it makes me think of my most recurring nightmare as, a, as an adult. Which is? I get gum stuck in my teeth. And no matter how much I pull it out, there's more. Do we have any dream analysts listening? Can you write in and tell us what that means? <laughs> Dreams don't mean anything. But it, I mean, that when I see it and like her foot is getting stuck in there and it's hard for her to take it out, that's all I can think about. And the weird thing is, it's not a nightmare because I can't get it out. Yes, that's frustrating. It's the taste in my mouth, the feeling that my mouth will never, ever not have this taste in it. And the oatmeal stairs remind you of that? Because when she takes her foot out, it's all, it's all gunky and, and she can't get her foot out all the way. Yeah. And it just reminds me of pulling this gum out of my teeth. That's interesting. I didn't. <laughs> I I never knew that. That's really interesting. We also meet Charles Fleischer. He plays the he plays Doctor King, who's the doctor at the Dream Clinic. He's the voice of Roger Rabbit. We saw him recently in Zodiac, and we yes. talked about him being Roger Rabbit. Yes, Johnny Depp. Lunges into Heather Langenkamp's bedroom and scares her that way. Uh, that is mimicked by Johnny Depp wannabe Skeet Ulrich in Scream. He looks just like Johnny Depp. Yeah, it's weird. And and they did. It's the exact same thing in Scream. Uh, also, as we said, done by Wes Craven. Here's a few. Just these are weird comments that I had. I've seen all the behind the scenes stuff before. I've seen Never Sleep Again, which is the four hour documentary on the Nightmare series. Which is really good, by the way. And I don't know why this just never registered for me. 
But when I saw Lin Shay's name in the opening credits, I was like, okay, Lin Shay, you'll know her from Insidious and all the Insidious spinoff movies. And I knew she was the teacher in this. And I'm like, Lin Shay, isn't the producer's name Bob Shay? Are they like married or something? And I look it up and no, she's his sister. I had no idea that that was the case. And if you've seen Freddy's Revenge, which is Nightmare 2, Bob Shay plays the bartender at the leather bar in that movie. <laughs> nice. He gets a little cameo. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Kids supposedly never knew about Freddy Krueger, right? Because their parents kept it from them. So where did the song come from? That's a good question. Mm Mm-hmm. In reality, we know it was written by Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time who was a musician. Thank you, Chris. Huh. Why were you going to get to that? (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, that has nothing to do with the movie. (laughs) I I feel like there was an explanation for that. She just says it. It was the remake, maybe? She said, it makes me think of this, of that jump rope song we used to play, yeah. we used to sing. Mm-hmm. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Yes, in the remake, they give it a bullshit origin. <laughs> <laughs> we can also talk about how sometimes New Line Cinema is referred to as the house that Freddie built because... It really saved them. They nearly went under trying to make this movie because Bob Shea believed in it so much and believed in Wes Craven, despite the fact that they butted heads so much. But if this movie failed, New Line Cinema would be nothing. They would have gone out of business right then and there. And there were people like the script supervisor put people's paychecks on his credit card in order to get this movie done because they were low on funds at the time. And this is a really, really low budget movie that they, this independent group really scrambled to get made and, and kind of risked everything to make this movie. And then it was just gigantic, like right out the gate and right away. This is not like the thing where people said, oh, this is dumb. It's a stupid movie. I don't like it. And then it became a cult success later on. No, this was immediately there were lines around the block kind of thing trying to get into this movie. I thought that that was pretty interesting. And New Line Cinema is huge. They've made lots and lots and lots of things, but you probably know them best for making Lord of the Rings. There are a lot of really cute scenes between Nancy and Johnny Depp. Uh, Yeah. Oh, God. He is so charming, and it makes me so mad. Even she talks about it. She Heather Langenkamp says something about how he played a nicer character than I'm sure he was. She didn't say that. She did. I wrote it down. It was in the extra features. His was a little bit more of a goody-two-shoes character than I'm sure he was in real life. You know, he played such a pure-as-the-driven-snow kind of guy. Why would anybody want to kill me? Oh, no. He played a much more innocent character than he really was. Yeah, but I think that can be... I think she's talking about the fact that they never have sex in the movie. No, but he's also like this kind of, you know, sweet kid. Right. And he cares about her. I'm and, sure yeah. he was having lots of sex and drinking and doing drugs, as they probably all were. Right. So I'm saying that she's saying he played a much more innocent person. Right. I'm was. trying to say that Johnny Depp's also kind of a pretty big a-hole. And it makes me mad because he's just so fucking charming in this movie. Oh. Morality sucks. Anyway. 
about them having cute relationship. So they're having this conversation over the phone. This is right before Johnny Depp dies. And first of all, he says, because her mom has decided to put bars on the windows. And he says, what are you, the prisoner of Zendar? Yeah, did you look that up? I didn't. I thought you would. Oh, then what did you mention? I hoped you would know. The Prisoner of Zenda is a 1937 adventure drama romance movie about an Englishman on a Ruritarian holiday who must impersonate the king when the rightful monarch, a distant cousin, is drugged and kidnapped. Interesting. I don't know why that's the reference here. Right? I don't know and why, why he Johnny would Depp make that. would know it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> But anyways, so they're on the phone, and she's explaining, you know, Freddy's going to kill you. And he's like, why would anybody want to kill me? And he goes, well, let's just see that. Let's just do this. And you know what? If you're right, fine. I'm crazy. And he goes, I already know. You're nutty as a fruitcake, but I love you anyway. Right. You can't bring somebody out of a dream. If I can't, then you can all relax because it's just a case of me being nuts. Yeah, well, I can save you the trouble. You're nutty as a fruitcake. I love you anyway. He's just so fucking charming. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, well, I'm going to pull him out of my dream. And you're going to whack the fucker. And he goes, "How? what am I supposed to do? And she's like, you're the jock. You've got a bat or something. <laughs> and you won't mind cold cocking this guy when I bring him out. What? You heard me. I grab the guy in my dream. You see me struggling, so you wake me up. We both come out. You whack the fucker. And we got him. Are you crazy? Hit him with what? You're the jock. You have a baseball bat or something. <laughs> Look how indignant she is about that. So then he's like, all right, fine. And he's going to try to stay awake by listening to music and watching TV. But he falls asleep. So his mom comes in and she wakes him up. And she's like, how can you watch TV and listen to your records at the same time? And he goes, Miss Nude America is on. Yeah, I'm just going to watch Miss Nude America and go to sleep. And she goes, how are you going to be able to hear what she says? And he goes, who cares what she says? <laughs> yep, it's the 80s, folks. Yeah. I wish we could know what his dream was. Like, why he gets killed by the bed? I think I think we are seeing his dream when he dies that way. But it doesn't show yeah, why he's... I know. I don't know. He just come, his arms just come up from under the bed and just pull him down. Yeah. He's not chased. At this point, Freddy's powerful enough to just attack people without having to scare them first. Well, I don't think that he has to. I think he likes to. Well, I'm sure he likes to, but he also has. It's very well established in the franchise that he needs to scare you. Yeah. That's how he gets his power. I think I've got one last big thing I just want to say. Mm hmm. And I know that everyone knows this. Uh, Nancy is a badass. She's an awesome slasher girl. You could argue that the best one of all time is Halloween. Sure. But Nancy is different from Lori because Lori... She's running almost the entire time. Yeah, Lori kind of wins by accident. Yeah. But Nancy wins because she takes thing takes things into her own hands. And that's something that Heather Langenkamp kind of talks about in one mm -hmm. of the behind-the-scenes features, is about how the ending kind of ruins that. So she doesn't like the ending. She doesn't like how confusing it, it is, is because she she wins, and it shows her strength, and then all of a sudden, nope, 
It's like, well, okay, you just undermined that message. It's a confusing scene because with the ending that we now have, it doesn't quite make sense. You know, if I turn my back and that's supposed to be a successful resolution, then the fact that Freddie comes back means I failed. She's got that line, I'm into survival. <laughs> yeah, well, when were you into this, like, home defense stuff? Speaking of home defense stuff, what were Wes Craven's previous two movies? Last House on the Left. I've never seen the original Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. So if that has booby traps in it, I wouldn't know. They both have homemade, like, devices. Just like, I mean, I I wrote here that, oh, man, I love this Home Alone shit. But obviously Home Alone wasn't made for, you know, another, what, eight years, seven years, something like that. So really, it's more like Last House on the Left, where the parents booby trap their house in order to mess with the people who uh, assaulted and killed their daughter. Booby traps in hills have eyes. Well, the, in the house they they've built these like kind of homemade devices. Yeah. I've only seen the, the, the remake. I wouldn't necessarily call them booby traps, but they're devices that they build in the home. I don't remember those in the remake. Heather Langenkamp. We talked about in our Dawn of the Dead remake episode. She's listed in the credits of Dawn of the Dead, the remake, because she opened up an effects shop with her husband. Nice. And uh, that's why she's in the credits of that. She's also credited on Cabin in the Woods. Nice. Which we will get to eventually. I hope, I hope, I hope. Freddy Krueger is barely in this movie. And then he's all over the place in the rest of them. (laughs) I was going to say, he doesn't have... He has less than 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah, he doesn't have a ton of screen time, but the screen time that he does have, he's brilliant. Yeah. He has this presence about him. And yeah, sure. He's not sure. quite quippy yet. Yeah, he is he's a little not, bit. He's not crazy quippy yet, as Chris just said, but he still has a couple of lines. Yeah, uh huh. Please, God, this is God. Yeah. Please, God, this is God. And which he referring to his glove and I'm your boyfriend now. Mm-hmm. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Where the, the receiver turns into a mouth and then the tongue comes out and licks her. Yeah, so he's not the Freddy that everybody knows these days. Yet. But a little more sinister, I think, in this. But he's still there. Oh, even in the first scenes, there's still a little bit of like, hey, Tina, <laughs> like, like that sort of thing where he's just fucking with her. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at this. And then he cuts his own fingers off. Like he's he's a little fun right out the gate in like his first scene. But throughout the movie, he's a little more subdued than what you'll see later on in the franchise. If you just stick around and watch the rest of them, because even the bad ones it's worth watching. They have great kills yeah, uh-huh. because they're in dreams and they can do it whatever they want. Yeah, even the really bad ones are really good. <laughs> I totally do not have, like, Michael Myers and Jason. Eventually in the series, they just had to say, oh, yeah, they're 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 from they're from hell. They're they're evil. Yeah, because they have no other explanation for why they're able to do the things they're able to do. Right. Why? Why it's magic. Right. Whereas Freddy, it's like he's in a dream world. There's no question. But they do explain it, though. Yeah. Later on. They in the give franchise. a bullshit thing later, but About that's, how there's that's like to bring this, him back. <laughs> the, yeah. There's like this, this, uh, Ed, what would you call him? Like God of dreams or whatever, who raises him as like his avatar. It's really, 
like finds him in hell after he gets after he dies and it's like you're gonna be my vessel to scare the children or whatever and like gives like grants him the power it's been a long time since i've seen that's jason no jason is the worm yeah but in freddy versus jason he goes to jason and he says no that's what freddy says to jason you're gonna scare the children for me to give me power because they're gonna think it's me right in the Freddy series, he's been granted power by this dream god, oh. who who basically is like, "You're going to be my the the thing that's going to carry out my will or whatever." Well, I'm going to grant you this power, and then they have some kind of conflict, if I remember right. I think that's all in six. It might be in it's five or six, one of those. We'll have to rewatch this. Totally, totally, yeah. But anyway, oh, the movie also has John Saxon. Yes. Who is the lieutenant in Black Christmas Woo! and the lieutenant in this. Yes. He plays the lieutenant in both movies. It's not as frustrating because in both just Jason and Michael Myers movies, it gets frustrating because it's like the dude barely walks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, it's hard to believe that he could get away with killing that many people. Freddy oh, man. can do whatever the, the hell he wants. The first time he chases Tina, after the arm, like, immediately after the arm stretching thing, he kind of runs at her with his hands in the air like he's an orangutan goblin. <laughs> it's the coolest thing, and it's so creepy. I can imagine if I saw that in a nightmare, I would piss myself. <laughs> it's really, really creepy. He, Robert Englund himself talks about how he got into character is because it took him hours like the first time they did it it was like six hours of makeup and then they got it down to like three hours and then he'd see like the pretty young actors and actresses heather and johnny and all them and they get their makeup session and they're done really quick Uh. and and he just he he hated them for that and he was like oh i'm gonna use that Uh. he hates these pretty beautiful kids you know <laughs> i remember seeing there once and johnny and heather were sitting there getting makeup on as if they needed it these two beautiful young kids and here i am and i'm getting basted with a turkey baster full of ky jelly i envied them i envied them their youth i envied their beauty a light bulb went off i could use this as freddy it was a shorthand for me to get angry the way he saw it freddy is scary because he knows everything about you because he lives in your dreams he knows everything he knows what you want he knows what you're scared of he knows all your secrets and that's how he can be an effective killer this was a guy that knows what's in your underwear drawer this is a guy that knows what you're afraid of this is a guy who knows what's in your diary. This is a guy that knows your weakness and can exploit that. And that's a real violation. Which you get, like, really on the nose in Dream Warriors, where every person is killed in, like, the exact thing that they're afraid of. <laughs> All right. All right. So we also recommend you watch Never Sleep Again, that four-hour Elm Street legacy movie. It's Not on- until after you've watched the whole series. Yeah, watch the whole series. Uh, and then watch that one. It's four hours long, but they break down movie by movie, all the behind the scenes stuff. And it's really, really interesting. There's also a bunch of extra features on the DVD that you should really watch. Kelsey. Yes. What do you think the movie's Rotten Tomato score is? 93. 94. Ah. Wes Craven's intelligent premise combined with the horrifying visual appearance of Freddy Krueger still causes nightmares to this day. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 90. Really? The acting isn't great, 
But aside from that, the special effects are awesome. Freddy is awesome. It's... I mean, it doesn't scare me anymore. I've seen it too many times. But... I remember the fear it induced in me for a long time. I still don't like to look at masks that look like him. Even though I've dressed up as him. Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this with rose-tinted glasses. Really? You I think mean, you think 90 is rose-tinted glasses? Well, because what did I give the thing? I don't even think I gave the thing 90. You gave the thing 86. Yeah. What did I give Christine? You gave Christine 84. Exactly. I think there was just a lot of love and care put into it. It's very well made. It knows what it wants to do. There's no question this is a teen slasher popcorn scary movie and I love it for that. Yeah, I just I just love it too much. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's my problem. I love it too much. I would give it a 95. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, I I'm a huge fan of Freddy. Love him, love him, love him. Mm-hmm. As iconic as Michael Myers is as iconic as Jason is. They're just not that interesting. And Freddy makes up for the shortcomings of the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. So I give it an 95. It also has on Metacritic a 78. So it's not quite as, I mean, that's Metacritic. It's completely different scale. Mm. Not on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% of the people that reviewed it had generally positive feelings about it. All right, Kelsey, anything in last minute things to talk about on Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984? Nope. Do we have to? We do. Next on our list, since it's a double feature, just like when we watched Friday the 13th, ah, Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010, produced by the same people who produced the Friday the 13th remake and... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. This is just what they did for a while. And ever since this movie flopped, they went away from that and they stopped doing that. Written first. Okay, yeah, good point. Good point. Thank you for calling me out on that. Before we move on to this movie, Slash Cards, Kelsey. What is the name of the ventriloquist dummy in 1945's Dead of Night? No, not at all. You're just going to have to tell me. Hugo. Yep. Not in a million years would I have ever guessed that. Well, you've seen it. I've seen it. We've talked about it on the show. And we liked it a lot. Yeah, that was like almost a year ago now. (laughs) Something like that. It's been a long time since we've seen Dead of Night. But that was fun. That was a fun one. It's just his name just doesn't stick out. That was one-fifth of the stories in that movie. So, nope. All right, Kels. Yes. In Children of the Corn. Ooh. 1984. Do love it. How do Bert and Vicky destroy he who walks behind the rose? They blow up the cornfield. They do burn the cornfield, yes. Yes. Yeah, good call. Nice. Are we ever going to do Children of the Corn? Yes. Okay, good. I fucking love Children, <laughs> Children of the, the corn. corn. is awesome. Malachi! He wants you too, Malachi. <laughs> okay, all right. We put it up. Put Which it is off. another version of who? Do you know? Malachi? No. 
He who walks behind the rose. Oh, the dude from the stand. Randall Flagg. Randall Flagg, yeah. Who we made a prediction about uh, last week for Castle Rock, which stick around. We watch the next two episodes. We'll be talking about that later at the end of this episode. I think I'm right. (laughs) You might be right. You might be right. All right, Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010, directed by Samuel Bear. Screenplay was written by Eric Heiserer and Wesley Strick. Story well, by Wesley Strick. They should never write Strick. another movie again. And characters by Wes Craven, starring Jackie Earl Haley, Rooney Mara, and the dreamboat himself, Kyle Gallner. <laughs> the plot is virtually the same, except this time they go the whole the full Monty and they make him a child molester. And that's just a thing that they bring up constantly. Yes. His power is instead of being based on fear, is based on their memory. Yes, they've uh, all so forgotten it's a, there's about a, him. There's a little bit about that. Because they forgot about the trauma that happened to him, they've forgotten about him. And as they remember him, that's how he gets his power back. Um, and and that kind of... We'll get into the when we, when we talk about the plot differences. Kelsey, hmm. should people watch this? No. No. Unless you want to see Kyle Gallner. Or Rooney Mara. Not her best role. Not her best role, no. Not at all. Well, I think that Kyle, Rooney, and Jackie did their best with the script because good God is the script awful. Yeah. It is so poorly written. It's not good. It's not good. So, I mean, it's not, this movie isn't even good in the way that you like, oh, watch it because it's, it's bad good. No. You know what I mean? No, this is not. However, if you stick around for the rest of this episode, I do have some nice things to say about this movie. Well, then let's get our worst things out the gate, shall we? Okay, well, first, listen to this trailer bit part thing. And when we come back, we'll talk about 2010's A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm starting to dream with my eyes open. Whoa! I can't tell what's real anymore. If I sleep, I'm dead. Wake up! One, two, three, just come on before you. If you die in your dreams, you die for real. A Nightmare on Elm Street starts April 30th. All right, Kels. Hmm. Aside from the fact that he's a child molester now and... Murderer? No, he wasn't a murderer. No, he was. Oh. Yeah, before. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And how he gets his power. What else is different about this movie? There are no practical effects. There's only CG. It's not only CG. His face is CG. Parts of his face are CG, actually. A lot of that is makeup. But parts of it are. Looks like CG. Yeah. And it amazes me. It astounds me every time. It was the same problem with the thing. You look at the original thing and you're like, holy shit. That's awesome, right? Yeah. Then you see the new one, you're like, that's crap. This is ten times that because I actually think that these effects in the original nightmare are actually Really good. Even better than in the thing. Only because they're on a smaller scale. Yeah. So they seem even more real. Right. You know? For instance, my favorite effect, 
the Freddy coming through the wall happens in this one too, except he comes through a lot further and it's really bad Scorpion King type CG. And then his claws come through and he slashes at her. No, he just goes. He swipes at her or whatever. Yes, yeah, claws come out and he goes, but he doesn't actually attack her. And then he he disappears and she just wakes up. They also talk a lot more about the consequences of staying up too long. In the first one, in the first movie, they talk about, you know, lucid dreaming. We didn't mention that in the first part of the of the episode where Johnny Depp talks about the concept of lucid dreaming. You just tell yourself you're really asleep, you're in a dream, and then you can control what happens in the dream. Which is bizarre to me because on the very few occasions that I've realized I'm in a dream right now, yeah, I wake up. Yeah. I cannot stay asleep once I've realized I'm Well, he in a says dream. you can you can wake up at that point too. He does mention that. And well, but whatever. I mean, the concept is that you have to be able to realize you're in a dream. Yeah, which isn't exactly. It easy. happens very rarely. But there are people who who do lucid dream, and on the regular, it's something you need to train yourself for. How do you train yourself? It has to do with like repeating mantras before you go to sleep and stuff like that. And uh, you can control what you're going to dream about. That way, you can be triggered more when when it happens. There is a thing. That you can wear while you sleep, which means that I probably couldn't do it because I can't sleep with yeah. anything on my face. It like flashes lights on your eyes and yes, whatever. Yes, and, and so it's supposed to it's supposed to tell you without waking you up that you're in the middle of a dream and then yeah. you can control your dream. Well, guess what? what? On the extremely rare times that I've realized I was a dream and did not automatically wake up. It didn't help. I tried to tell myself you can fly. I can never fly. <laughs> Once I realized I was in a dream, I can't fly. And Nancy, Heather Langenkamp, she also says, you know, I, I I looked it up. I've been up for five days or whatever. I looked it up. The record is seven. They don't really go into it much more than that. This movie, they do a lot of research on sleep and, you know, how it can drive you insane if you don't get sleep and how your body starts to go into uh, what are called micro naps where Means that you're al- you're awake, but you're dreaming. Yeah, your brain kind of shuts down for seconds at a time. And they use that to, I think, pretty good effect partially to uh, really fuck with people. So it because in in the original, it's a lot of just try to stay awake, but then I fall asleep, right? In this, it's, no, they're awake, they're up, they're moving around, but because they're having micro-naps, they still end up slipping into the dream world every once in a while. And so I thought that that was an interesting change. It doesn't benefit the movie completely, and I think I'll talk about that a little bit later. Everyone seems to know what's going on, uh, at least for the fact that they're being attacked by the same person and that they're going to be attacked next, like, right away. Well... After the first dude dies in the very beginning. The boyfriend of the girl who's kind of like the Tina. Yeah, Chris, by the way. Get it? Chris, Tina. Oh. Yeah, she's supposed to be the Tina character. Yeah. Who is Katie Cassidy, who was also in the Friday the 13th remake, and she's also in Arrow, and she's also in Supernatural, where she talks to somebody named Dean. Just like in this one, mm-hmm. her current boyfriend is the first one to die in the very beginning, 
And once that happens, everyone knows what's going on. All the primary characters know what's happening. Well, the boyfriend character, the live one. The ex-boyfriend who becomes the current boyfriend, I guess, maybe. He tries to ignore it. He, He yells at Rooney Mara when she tries to talk to her. Yeah. But, I mean, they figure it out very quickly after that, but yes. Yeah, it's like right away. So the mystery isn't what's happening. The mystery is what happened in their past. Mm-hmm. And why? It's, the and why? it's them discovering that when they were little, there was the gardener at this at this preschool, this kindergarten or preschool, something like that. Preschool. And that is Fred Krueger, and the kids were his life. And they, at least at first, believe that, well, they first they find out that they claimed that he would take them to his cave, his special place, and do bad things. And so the parents decided to kill him. They set him on fire. And for a good chunk of the movie, they make Freddy sympathetic. Even when... In the flashback when he dies, in this really fucking cheesy scene, when he's like, and he's catching on oh, fire. it's really bad. And, but they make it seem like, oh, poor him, mm-hmm. what he's going through. And he rips off his jacket, and he's wearing the sweater underneath it. And it's so cheesy and lame. It's really bad. It's really bad. And But they make it seem like what's happening is he's getting revenge because the kids lied. And he died as a result of it. A good chunk of the movie, that's what that's what the story is. Now, ultimately, it turns around and they find out that no, what he's doing is he's not trying to reveal to them that he didn't actually do it so they can feel this guilt. No, he's trying to reveal to them that he did do it so they could remember that it happened, which is what gives him his power. Yes. But that doesn't happen until the end of the movie. And... Or it's not revealed until the end of the movie. And it it's I think it could be really, really harmful. Like, is it is it a good idea to put out there in the world that this is a thing that happens where, you know, don't believe any kids when they say they're being molested? That's like, not what they're saying. It's what they're saying for most of the movie. For a lot of the movie. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying. But just putting that out there, even though they twist it at the end, a good chunk of the movie is set is telling that story. Right, but I mean, you could say that any movie that talks about the fact that people sometimes lie about sexual misconduct is bad. So, it's dumb. It's all dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. We're going to get right into lightning round. Kelsey, what do you got? I have a question about how the other ones came to remember their past. Uh Uh-huh. Because she does all this research to find all the other kids from the preschool have also died. Right? Yeah. And you could say, well, where did it come from for any of them? Well, I mean, they kind of gave us an answer. Uh, The very first guy who dies at the beginning in the diner, he says, I've been seeing a therapist and he's been making me think about my childhood. Yeah. uh Right? But where did everyone else and why all at the same time? Right. Well, there are others when Rooney Mara is doing that research on the other kids That she sees that when she finds the picture of all the kids and all their names and she looks them up and they're all dead already. That's been happening over a period of years. 
It's not just happening right now. It's just gotten to this group of kids right now because what he's doing is he wants to get to Rooney Mara last because she was his favorite and he wants to be at his most powerful then and he wants her to figure it out and he wants her to try to stay awake because after the stage where it's micro naps, your body shuts down and your brain puts itself into a coma, which is the unending sleep. And then he gets to keep her forever because mm-hmm. as it stands, he kills them in their dreams and then he plays with them while they're dying mm-hmm. up to seven minutes, he says, which is true. Your brain can keep functioning for minutes after your body dies. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that this was interesting. Costume designer Marianne Ceo. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce her last name. It's CEO. She wanted to design the sweater similar to the one the way the first one was designed, and she ended up hiring this woman by the name of Judy Graham to create the sweater. What she did not know at the time was that Judy Graham was actually the person who made the sweater for the first movie, too. It's a red and green striped sweater. Yeah, no, they didn't buy it. They created it. I could go on and on about how awful the script is, so I won't. Just know, everyone, that there are a lot of lines that I would love to go through just to say how terrible they are. Can you give me a few? (laughs) I feel like I won't be able to recreate it. In the very, very scene... At the at the diner, which is where Rooney Mara works and everyone hangs out. The guy who the first guy to die is like these dreams. They're real. <laughs> it's just, I can't recreate it. It's just so bad. These dreams. They're real. So according to the cast, they really liked the director, uh, Samuel Bear. And he was they kind of absolve him of guilt by saying he was really a gun for hire. Um, This was bad. This was the movie was rotten from the word go. And he came in and he did his best with it. His job was only to make it pretty, you know, and it was filmed pretty. It was filmed. Well, I will say the special effects weren't good. That's not what I'm talking about, but it was filmed pretty well. Um, but it's yes, just, there are some cool shots. What he was asked to film wasn't good. And that's the problem. So Samuel Bear, I will also absolve you of some of the guilt here. <laughs> so this is the first actual feature length film that Samuel Bear ever directed. That's the other thing. He's more known for directing music videos. And he directed Blind Melons, No Rain. He directed Garbage's Only Happy When It Rains. And he directed Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. And if you watch Smells Like Teen Spirit, it feels like that kind of grimy in a school kind of feeling that this movie has. He also did, does commercials and things like that. And this is the first movie he had ever made. Well, there you go. That explains it. But that, <laughs> but that also adds into my whole, like, this was half-assed. You don't give the remake of a beloved movie like... A Nightmare on Elm Street, and hand it to some guy who's never even made a movie before? Yeah. That just shows they just, they weren't trying. No. And it's very apparent that they weren't trying, and I just, I walk out of this and I'm just like, they didn't care, why should I? I had the same big problem with it, just like I did the first time I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Freddy is not scary in this movie. No. He... 
much like what they did with Pennywise in the new one, he plays with them and then he lets them go. Yeah. In the original, he plays with them in the dream. Yeah. But they don't get away because he just decides, ah, fuck it. No, they wake up. (laughs) They wake uh up every time. Yeah. In this one, he's just like, ha ha, I got you. All right, see you later, bye. Yeah. It's really annoying. And not only is he not scary like he is in the first film, he is not pithy and funny like he is in the rest of the series. The few lines that they gave him, I'm sorry, Jackie Earl Haley, he doesn't know how to deliver humor, which is why I'm saying that the direction is bad. Even Rooney Mara, even Kyle Gallner, they're not great in this movie. So Rooney Mara has said that the experience was not a good one. Quote, well, after Elm Street, quote, I didn't want to act anymore. I was like, this isn't what I signed up for. If this is what my opportunities are going to be like, then I'm not that interested in acting. So I was very discouraged and disheartened. And then I got the social network script and that kind of inspired me. So she almost quit acting altogether. It's Mara, actually. I heard her sister, Kate Mara, say her name in uh, mean tweets or whatever. At Kate Mara, she said. I'm like, ah, it's Mara. It's not Mara. Okay. Kate Mara is on the list of people who I don't understand why anyone likes. But also, (laughs) Rooney, this is in an Entertainment Weekly interview. (sighs) She also said something to the effect of she knew she didn't want it, but she went to the audition anyway, and she just kind of phoned it in. And at the end of the audition, she was like, shit, I just got that role. It's like, well, geez. High opinion of your acting. (laughs) Right, yeah, I know. She's like, I just nailed that, damn it. (laughs) And Jackie Earl Haley, his idea to put himself in the right mindset to play Freddy Krueger was... Quote, sitting in the makeup chair for three hours. After that, you feel like you could kill someone, which is very similar to Robert Anglin. But he's, like I said, he's not scary and he's not funny. And he tries to be funny a few times. Yes, and it, it falls flat every yeah, time. Uh-huh. The the pacing, the direction is not there. It felt like this movie was very half-assed. Which is incredible to me because at the very least Friday the 13th tried to be as good as the as its predecessor. Yeah. This wasn't even trying. Yeah, there were a lot more things to like about Friday the 13th than yeah. there was the remake than there was about this one. Yeah. So Brad Fuller, one of the producers who works at Platinum Dunes who made the movie, uh the movie did really well financially. But it had such a huge backlash from critics and fans that, according to him, their phones didn't ring for two years after the movie. (laughs) And he says, no, they did a poor job of it. uh, And it really, really was a was a step back for the company. And they didn't do another movie for three years until they did The Purge. We'll get there. To The Purge. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) There's a rumor out there. That Johnny Depp and Jackie Earl Haley were friends in the 80s. I've read that. Jackie Earl Haley, uh, if you don't know, he was one of the kids in Bad News Bears. You got a Harley Davidson. Does that turn you on, Harley Davidson? And then he grew up and 
apparently because he was a little gangly, awkward looking kid when he grew up, he didn't get roles anymore. And so he didn't really start acting again until Rorschach. Rorschach, yeah. I mean, he was he directed a few things, I think, in the meantime. He's awesome as so Rorschach. He was, so he was behind the screen. That's what got him this role, by the way, was Rorschach. And he's creepy as shit in uh, Little Children. Yeah, where he plays another child molester. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Johnny Depp and Jackie Earl Haley, who were friends in the 80s, auditioned for Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is when Wes Craven saw Johnny Depp even though Johnny Depp wasn't the one auditioning and passed on Jackie Earl Haley, but gave the role to Johnny Depp. Now we know the true story about Johnny Depp is he was actually auditioning. Yeah. And um, it was down to him and one other guy. They're conflicting reports as to who that other guy is. And it was Wes Craven's daughter who was like, this guy's a dreamboat. You need to hire him. And that was Johnny Depp's like first acting gig. After this, he went on to 21 Jump Street and a few other things. But... Jackie or Haley himself said, oh, this is that's that's not true at all. I don't even remember auditioning. I mean, maybe I did. And maybe I might have been at one point in the same room as Johnny Depp. But none of that story is true. How interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How weird. Right. Like, where does that come from? Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Wes Craven hates this movie. And he told IGN that mainly he thinks it did poorly and mainly he resents it for that because they never consulted with him on it. When other movies of his have been remade, they consulted him. Like even with last house on the left, when that was remade, they consulted him on it. Um, and they did not even talk to him about this one. So he was like, yeah, no wonder it did poorly. <laughs> yeah, they, they have they have no respect for the original material. They yeah. saw it as a way to make money. And again, that is apparent. And again, why should I care if you don't care? Right. I said that the micro-nap concept was really interesting, but that it kind of falls apart towards the end of the movie because instead of making it an interesting way for them to get into the dream world while they're standing up and moving around, it just becomes an avenue for cheap jump scares that go nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's just like, bah, scary thing! Oh, I was in a dream for a second there. And that's it. And so it, it like they had this great idea and then it it turns bad. Well, also, I mean, there's the part where she where they're in the drugstore and she's having one of her micro naps and uh, she's literally screaming through this drugstore on her hands and knees. No one else in the store gives a fuck. Except for Kyle Gallner, who runs at up the to end her. of her yeah, dream. Uh huh. Well, we don't know how much of that dream actually happened in in real life. No, we do because no. they showed us. Yeah, it cuts to her screaming after the dream. No, then- in the dream. They cut back and forth between reality and the dream to let you know, the audience, really? no, this is really happening. Okay. She's in the store. Things are falling around her. She's screaming. No one gives See, a Yeah, I fuck. thought that was all the dream, 100% of the no, dream. No, they, they cut back and forth between reality. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Girl screaming over there, who cares? I also like that the way this movie ends, kind of, is they actually follow through on they need to pull him in the real world and then kill him in the real world. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that because 
I mean, it happens in the original, but then that's not really how they get rid of him. They still can't kill him. All those things that she that she sets up don't like it slows him down a little, but it doesn't actually harm him at all. Uh, and it's her realizing that it's the fear that gives him power. And then she takes that power away in this movie. No, it's you bring him into the real world and then he will be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point he says, you can't hurt me. This is my world and you can't ever leave when she's going into the coma. And then Kyle Gallner puts the adrenaline into her, which wakes her up, which adrenaline is not a cure for a coma. Little plot hole there. But when she cuts off his hand, when he's attacking Kyle Gallner, the hand with the glove, she says to him, it hurts now, doesn't it? That's because you're in my world now, bitch. It hurts, doesn't it? It's because you're in my world now, bitch. Yeah, which... She gets that bitch line. He doesn't even say it in the movie. And even in the original franchise, he doesn't say it in the first film. Yeah. So that pissed uh me off. However, there was something that did make me giggle. Yeah. And that was Kyle Gallner. Uh, He's supposed to stay awake, much like Johnny Depp is supposed to stay awake. Yeah. And just like Johnny Depp, he falls asleep as well. But when he realizes he's fallen asleep and he's in a dream. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. But then it gets ruined. Yeah. Because Jackie Earl Haley shows up, grabs him, and, like, keeps hitting him, right? Yeah. You can't save her. Yeah. Tag. You can't save her! What performance was that, Mr. Haley? How is that scary? Like, literally, you can't save her. What the fuck was that? Nothing about this is scary. It's also way too fucking sexual. Like, I know they, they turn it into about molestation, but then they carry that throughout even when they're a Uh, adults it gets brought up every time yeah and every time they can i don't i don't know is it supposed is the idea that it's in with it being about memories and remembering and giving power to your attacker by letting those memories control you like is that the point that they're trying to say about being able to take that power back. Honey, that would require this movie to think right. of itself as a metaphor. Right. They I don't, don't think it is. Yeah. No. They have no concept that they even made their audience possibly think about that. And so instead, they certainly weren't. Instead, it's just nauseatingly sexual. Like, yes. It's not, ugh, it's gross. And not in a way that's like, ooh, gross. Like, no, that's just gross. Mm-hmm. I thought... Speaking of a scene I really liked in the original, I liked Chris getting tossed around the room, just like I liked Tina getting tossed around the room. That was a really good effect until they ruined it. It got comical. They would like even repeat a shot or two. She would like slam into this wall and then slam into that wall and then slam into this wall and then slam into the ceiling and then slam into that wall. And it just over and over and over and over. And she's like, and I'm like, okay, now this is just funny, but the the effect was really good, but you just carried on too long. There were too many cuts, too many, and I swear to God they repeated one or two of those shots over. I don't know why they felt the need to do that. And then she just, she gets slashed, 
And then she just kind of gently falls into the bed. Little poof. I didn't notice. As opposed to the first movie where the MPAA made them... Cut it. Cut it early because it was so graphic how she slammed into the bloody bed and the blood goes splashing everywhere and she flips out of the bed. No, they made her cut as soon as she hit the bed and then you get the blood splash on Rod. It still had the splash sound because I don't know if you noticed, but whoever did the sound effects on this movie was having way too much fun. (laughs) Not in a good way. Every time. And this has bothered me since I was a child. But in this movie, it was so fucking annoying. You know that shink sound? Yeah. Shink. Whenever a which, blade which is put blades on screen. Which blades don't actually make. They don't. <laughs> well, every time that happens in a movie, it bothers me and it makes me it right. makes me cringe. Well, they, in this they, movie, yeah. we have a glove filled with them and it is every time Now, they you are could put make the argument that the blades sliding against themselves make that sound. Because that, that could be the sound of a blade dragging against metal. Too often in movies, blades are just just flying through the air and touch nothing and still make those shink sounds. <laughs> and it's dumb. You could maybe make the argument that the that he makes the blades. But he's not, though. If you watch him, they're not touching each other. And they still make that sound. He does sometimes, like... Drag them across each other. Yeah, yeah. He, uh-huh. he, he plays with them. And that makes a totally normal sound when yeah. they do that. And I believe that. It's like scissors. Yeah. It's the sound scissors make. However, another thing that they changed in the original, they keep bringing up the yeah sound. Uh-huh. They don't do that in this movie. Instead, they decide, we're just going to have sparks go everywhere. Yeah, uh-huh. Like he's dragging his fingers off of, off a of flint, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, it just makes all these all these sparks. It's pretty bad. But anyway, in that scene with Chris flying through the air, she's wearing a jersey, and that jersey is the same number as the one that Glenn, Johnny Depp, is wearing when he dies in his scene. And then the end sucks. Yeah, it goes, it confuses it again. Yep. It does the same thing the first movie does and completely confuses everything. Kyle Gallner survives. Yes, Kyle Gallner actually makes it through to the end. Made me happy. That's okay. I'm okay with both of them surviving. But then she gets back after killing him in the real world. Yep. Killing him. Cutting off his hand. And then she goes home and her mom's standing in front of a mirror. And he breaks through the mirror and then pulls her into the mirror. Kind of like he breaks through the window and the door in the original one and pulls her through that window. Yes. Um, I liked... The visual at the end where the mirror, when he pulls her through, the mirror's still just a mirror, but there's blood splattered all over it. I thought that was pretty interesting. But, like, visually, but, but no, again, it, it ruins I, the ending of the movie. Yeah, I feel like these, it's it's almost like these people had no idea of the effect that Freddy Krueger has had on the horror genre. Yeah. They just were like, hey, this was a popular movie. I'm going to sit down and watch it for the first time ever, take some quick notes, and redo it. Because I want to make money. Like, they just had no concept of the fact that a part of the horror culture, we all hate that ending. Yeah. They don't even understand that. They don't get that we don't like it. They don't get why we don't like it. Yeah. Nothing. Because they know nothing about the history of Freddy Krueger. At all. And I mean, I know that this sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds like I'm getting really upset about something kind of stupid. But no, but it's representative of the lack of understanding and respect that they had for this movie. Yes. And at least Fuller recognized that. 
after the fact. <laughs> a little late. Yeah. Speaking of bad lines that you mentioned earlier on, I have one written down here where the Rod character, Jesse, I think his name was, mm-hmm. or something like that, actually has the line when he tries to warn Rooney Mara about it. He says, quote, if you die in your dreams, you die for real. Just don't fall asleep. If you die in your dreams, you die for real. Like, come on, dude. If you die in the game, you die for real. Like, that's a really, like, famous cheesy line. And people make fun of that line for all sorts of concepts where somebody's, like, in Jumanji, you know? Oh, if you die in the game, you die for real. Like, whenever that comes up, people say that. He says that word for word, except instead of game, it's dream. It's, it's, I, I could not believe those words came out of his mouth in earnest, It wasn't supposed to be silly. It wasn't supposed to be joking. He meant it. There's a movie from 2006 called Stay Alive, Mm -hmm. which is a dumb name. I don't know if you remember this concept, but one of their uh, there's this group of of kids and one of their friends dies and they think to find out what happened to him. They go into this like online video game and that's where the line if you die in the game, you die for real comes from it's even on the poster for that movie stay alive Ah. yeah don't you get it if you die in the game you die for real you're sure nancy doesn't say that in the original film nancy does say it in dream warrior dream warriors she says quote it's now or never i'm not gonna kid you this is as dangerous as it gets if you die in this dream it's for real Nobody has to go in that doesn't want to. And that's where they all say that they're in. But that specific phrasing, if you die in the blank, you die for real, is mocked endlessly in popular culture from Stay Alive and this, apparently. (laughs) Four years later, they still did it. I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm okay. I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. (laughs) Yeah. All right, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. What is it? 13. It's 15. Ah! Little higher than you thought. Visually faithful, but lacking the depth and subversive twists that made the original so memorable, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake lives up to its title in the worst way possible. Ouch. Metacritic, it got a 35, and CinemaScore, it got a C+. What would you give it? Well, Kyle's in it. Yeah. So it's getting a 30. Wow. Getting a 30. Wow. I was going to give it a 20. I just love looking at him. I don't get it. He's not that attractive. (laughs) But here we are again, folks. (laughs) I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight. (laughs) Every time this happens in a movie that we watch. Uh, that was also, uh, you said you were going to say things about it you liked you didn't I said a few things about it that I liked I like the memory thing instead of the fear it explains a lot the fact that she's his favorite I like because he gets he gets to her last specifically because he wants her to figure it out and he wants her to fight back and he wants her to try to stay awake so that she falls into a coma and he can have her forever like I, I, I liked that little twist in it, 
it's it's a payoff at the end when he reveals that. It's like, oh, oh, that explains a whole lot, actually, about why if she's his favorite, why he wouldn't go to her first. That's why, you know, and so I liked that. I liked Chris in the air and that didn't end up working. Um, I like the micro nap concept, except they ruined that. I like his dream in the library. Yeah. I thought that was good. He made me laugh when he got sucked into the dream on accident. <laughs> oh, shit. I think he does a good job of being, like, addicted to the drugs that are keeping him awake. But he's a little over the top, and that scene dragged on for so long when he's trying to convince the pharmacist to give him the pills. It's like, dude, you know you look like a druggie. You know he's not going to give you the pills. Why are we still watching this scene? <laughs> Because she needed to scream through the drugstore and yeah. have no one hear her. Oh, God. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. That was, now that we're done talking about good things, Yeah, that was 2010's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Totally not worth it. I wouldn't no. say it's unnecessary as the as the pre-makewell to the thing was. I, I could see them remaking the original Nightmare on Elm Street and doing it well. I would love to restart the franchise. Yeah. I this is just I am not a purist. Ugh. I don't need it to be Robert England. Right. Was he fantastic? Yes. He's old now. Yeah. I would like a new Freddy, but I want a Freddy that's scary uh-huh. and I want a Freddy who's funny. So as opposed to being unnecessary, this was more a wasted opportunity. Yes. And that makes it more tragic. Yes. Yeah. Because because it's so perfect in the dream world, they have endless amounts of things they could have this character do. Yeah. Endless. Bummer. And they drop the ball. All right. So that was 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street and 2010's Nightmare on Elm Street. Before we wrap up completely, guys, stick around because we will be talking about episodes four and five of Castle Rock, which we've watched since our last week's episode. If you don't want to ruin it or you're not watching it yet, Uh, I'll just run through our closing stuff real quick, but please do stick around because we'll talk about Castle Rock. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? This comes from one of our listeners. She wrote a message uh, giving us a bunch of ones to watch, but then I think that accidentally got deleted, and now we have a couple more. Her name is Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Really appreciate that. So what are we going to watch based on Chloe's recommendation? So based on her recommendations, and she did give us a bunch. Oh, no. Oh, I know what this is. I remember what this is. Either Chloe hasn't been listening, or maybe I've never said this. I don't. You might not have said this. I feel like I've said it. Maybe once. We have lots of hours of content. Well, she certainly must, if she's been listening, she must know that I don't like Child's Play. And she listed that as one of the ones that we Well, because she recommended maybe we pair it up with Annabelle. Because I specifically mentioned I didn't know what we would pair with Child's Play. Because we watched The Boy. So, there's that. But what are we actually going to watch? So, we're holding off on that. Yeah. If we ever get to it. So, she chose a movie that really fucked with me as a kid. (laughs) And Chris is excited to see it. I am. It's a little movie called House on Haunted Hill. (laughs) It's another double feature next week. It's just so funny to me because it's... It has some interesting effects. I remember when it came out, it was like there was some state-of-the-art stuff. 
and it did fuck with people. I remember that. The remake I'm talking about. Yeah, the original, I think I've seen it. It's ridiculous. It's a Vincent Price movie, so it'll yeah. be fun at the very least. Oh, yeah. No, it is fun. We have seen that. That's from 1959, Vincent Price starring in House on Haunted Hill. Then there was the Jeffrey Rush movie with Fomka Jansen in 1999. Tay Diggs. So 40 years later, House on Haunted Hill. And that one's a lot creepier. It was the first movie I think I ever saw that did that stuttering walk effect where they cut out a bunch of frames. And I think that bothers Kelsey. <laughs> this movie petrified me. Is if- this the one that had all the pencils? No. Sharpened? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Jesse, if you're listening... She knows this quite well. You uh, destroyed my life for a whole summer. I literally didn't sleep. I would wake up screaming at this movie just totally, totally fucked with me. Now, I have seen it as an adult. Uh Uh-huh. Because my friends love the sequel for some reason. And so they forced me to sit down and watch it. Return to House on Haunted Hill, right? Yes. Is that the, the one where it's choose your own adventure? Yes. On the DVD, you can do a choose your own adventure thing. It wasn't quite as bad as I remembered it being. It still gave me nightmares. So maybe now that I'm even further along as an adult, I'll be better. I am not looking forward to this. Chris will be holding a very uh, scared Kelsey. Yeah. She might need to get real drunk before we watch this one. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so All that's right. what we're watching next week. It's so, a double feature House on Haunted Hill. So thank you, Chloe. Awesome. It's almost like you read our minds. Uh, thank you very much for listening and for sending in your suggestions. Until next week, you can reach us as well at podcemetery.com. You get all of our episodes. You get a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment under the episodes there. Share your thoughts, uh, what you thought of these movies. Did you actually like the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street? Justify yourself. Or you can recommend a movie or two for us to cover in a future episode, just like Chloe did. You can even reach us via email at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. I'll occasionally add additional comments there to these movies as I'm editing. And Kelsey will sometimes live tweet some random horror movie, which we talked about recently. Don't forget, guys, rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. It's very, very helpful. And I think more so than anything, tell your friends. But ultimately, we appreciate just you sticking around and listening. Before we go away, though, let's talk about Castle Rock, episodes four and five. Kelsey, what are your thoughts? I'm really into it now. Yeah. Now that he is out of the jail and he's interacting with the other people of the town. Skarsgård, yeah. Very intriguing. I still can't tell if he likes what he does or if he doesn't like what he Yeah, does. are we going to get to a point where, like, I think now he's just kind of realizing that all this stuff is true. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they kind of made it almost like, almost like the cage that the guy was keeping in, him in. It was like a, it was like a sensory deprivation thing. Where he, him. yeah, he was so far away from people. He forgot. Yeah, it, it's, it's revealed in this, in these two episodes, that him just being around people just makes things bad which is the same with randall flag randall flag kelsey her earlier prediction in our last episode was that he was going to be revealed to be randall flag so we'll see what happens with that but i think 
coming out of that, he he's really down on himself. And then when he gets verification that that's what he's doing, I don't think he likes it, but he recognizes that he has a power. And that's why he tells Pangborn, Alan Pangborn, that he can help Sissy Spacek's character. I don't think he can. I don't think he can either. Yeah, I think he just but wants to fuck with him, which maybe. is weird because, again. No, I don't know if he wants to fuck with him. I just think he can't do it. Well, he full on says, you have no idea what's going on here, do you? And it sounds in his voice, it sounds like he's having a little bit of fun with him. Uh-huh. But that doesn't coincide with earlier when he told the inmate, you don't want to touch me. Why he was so nervous to fist bump the, the guard, prison guard. Yeah, because uh-huh. um, he was worried about getting close to people and touching right. them. Right, and at yeah. first it seems like he he's kind of worried about it. Then he just wanders into these people's homes and just watches the chaos that ensues. And he seems to be cut off from it. Yeah, no, I, I that's what made me feel like he was bothered by it. But that, that made it seem like he was detached. Yeah, no, see, like, he goes into this house... Kind of like he's just drifting through the town because he doesn't know what it's like to be free. I think he's he's not very human in that respect. He's not socialized to this world. He just walks into a house. Maybe he lived there before. We don't know. I think they it's don't explain he heard it. the music. Right. He goes That's in and they like. seem to be having a good time like it's this little kid's birthday. And he walks upstairs and he kind of sits on, the, on this bed or something. And then he hears this whole thing devolve. No, he watches it. I got the sense when he was sitting there that, yeah, you're right. He wasn't feeling anything like he didn't care about these people, but I got the sense that he did care about himself and that he was like, okay, this is the confirmation. I really do fuck people's lives up. Right. And then he thinks about killing himself. Yeah. And he talks about how maybe I should be back there, but then he goes and fucks with Pangborn. And is that is that retribution because Pangborn allowed that to happen to him? But that would require him to be angry that he right. was put away, and now he's saying that he should be put away. That is also predicated on on what you're saying being true, which we don't know yet, that he's fucking with Pangborn. I don't think he's fucking with Pangborn. I just the way he said you have no idea what's going on here, do you? It just sounds like he's having fun. Like, you have no idea what's happening. Right, but come on, Kelsey, you've seen TV shows, you've seen movies. How many times do characters say that? Are they fucking with somebody? Does that mean they're going to lie to somebody immediately after that? No, it means, wow, you really have no idea what's going on here, do you? It's a thing that they put in movies and TV shows to add intrigue to the plot, not as an indicator that somebody is now going to manipulate a situation. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. I was shocked by what Dennis did. I was not prepared for him to do that. In the cell, when the assistant warden is threatening Skarsgård, asking for his name, there's on the wall, it says David Allen Coe. David Allen Coe is a singer-songwriter from like the 70s or so. Uh, He wrote a song called You Never Even Called Me By My Name, which is why I think it's interesting. I think we're going to find out his name is Randall. I think you're right. Uh, He also wrote, take this job and shove it, which is what Dennis wants to do. (laughs) And then he kills everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Dennis has a good line. He says, bad shit happens here because bad people know they're safe here. How many times can one town look the other way? I mean, it's basically dairy, like Mm -hmm. you said in our last episode. Yes. Yeah. But here's a nice little button on it. Mm -hmm. 
Sissy Spacek's character jumps off a bridge and she blames it on the dog. It's just full of a lot of really interesting stuff. Yes. And I was, like I said in the last episode, I was really worried that they're narrowing the focus too much. I think this is just right now. I'm I'm satisfied with the scope of this story. I just really want to see where it goes. I hope I continue to like it. Yeah. I'm a little confused. I understand that we're not supposed to know what happened to Henry yet, but the the path that they're taking us down is a little odd. Not what I would have expected. Yeah, the, the Desjardins, who, by the way, is the name of the P.E. coach in Carrie. <laughs> was he kept captive? Was he abducted by aliens? Was it the guy in the jail cell? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excited to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we will continue watching Castle Rock. We might do another episode review for our next episode, or we might wait and then do two episodes in a row like we did this week. Um, either way, keep listening in. We'll keep talking about Castle Rock. Write us. Let us know what you think about the show because we'd really like to know. Again, that's at podcemetery.com or podcemetery at gmail.com. Until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. Kelsey, do you have any parting wisdom to share with the audience? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Now I have a story that I'd like to tell about this guy. You all know me and me scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I call into bed. He's burnt up like a weenie and his name is Fred. He wears the same hat and sweater every single day. And even if it's hot outside, he wears it anyway. He's on when I'm awake, but he shows up when I'm asleep. I can't believe on my street they, they didn't want it to seem like they were exploiting what was going on at the real time at the real time what was going on at the time I'm sorry Jackie Earl Jackie Earl Haley Until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. Kelsey, what do you have? What do you thingy? What the, with the thing saying? The thing you say, and then at the end of the thing? <laughs>